Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Adrian Latrace, who is CEO of Boyd Industries. Today we will discuss transforming a small business to meet evolving market demands. Adrian arrived at Boyd Industries with more than 25 years of leadership in companies ranging from startups to large public corporations in the healthcare, renewable energy, and aerospace industries. He relies on his experience in developing high-performance organizations to support Boyd's goals and provide leadership for the dental equipment needs of the future. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you, Elena. I'm glad to be with you. We live as the famous... I think it's Chinese proverb says, in interesting times, with a lot of changes going on in terms of the United States and the global markets. Small businesses oftentimes are sort of the ugly stepchild in a lot of people's minds, and yet they are the backbone of the United States economy. Isn't that right? That's true, and uh, very much the reason why I am uh, part of Boyd and acquired the company back in uh, December of 2012. Um, you know, we can think of it in a patriotic sense of um, of growing a small business in the United States. Um, you know, I, especially Boyd Industries being in the healthcare sector, it's a it's a thriving segment of our economy here in the United States. So, um, you know, certainly uh, whatever we can do to promote small business, and in in my case, I have a bias, of course, in small business manufacturing, um, we need to do that here in this country. So many jobs have been lost in the United States in the last decade to overseas markets. I saw the number recently, and it was staggering. It was more jobs lost in the last decade than had been gained in several decades before that. And the experts are saying that many of those jobs, especially in manufacturing, are never coming back. No, I, I think that's also just a um, you know indication of the shift that we have in the U.S. economy. Um, away from uh, manufacturing. I, I think over the past decades, I've been manufacturing for over 25 years in this country, um, have uh, experienced, um, you know, uh, and helped run operations abroad uh, in manufacturing. I think there was a time where, uh, you know, the United States was probably not the best, uh, you know, location to uh, be a manufacturing company. But I think what we have uh, experienced over the last uh, several years is a uh, a shift and a, a transition in the way that uh, manufacturing is viewed here in the United States as a job creator, um, you know, learning certain skills that we need to continue to have and maintain in this country to, um, you know, fuel our, you know, our future uh, economic growth. What makes it possible for a small business to function as a manufacturer in the United States without offshoring. Are there particular elements that you think are necessary in order for that to work out? Well, I mean, uh, the challenge is running a small business, regardless if it's in the manufacturing segment or, or otherwise, is one, uh, we're, you know, we always are faced with a resource constraint. Uh, you know, in other words, we don't have a vast number of uh, personnel and staff and re- uh, resources, financial resources within the company. Um, you know, as a result, um, we look uh, locally uh, developed suppliers. It's not to say that we don't acquire certain uh, components and parts from offshore, uh, but the vast majority of what we we procure, uh, in our case, uh, over 90% of our spending dollar is spent with suppliers here in the United States. So I think many small businesses are are um, not only um, you know, um, you know benefit uh, local economies here uh, across the country, but we can also uh, benefit um, uh, you know other locations uh, just through our our supply chain and um, sourcing our products, uh, me, our, our components uh, from other uh, domestic suppliers. As a small business owner, what elements do you find necessary in order to make that 
base, that starting point work? Are there particular things for our listeners, for example, who are thinking of starting a company or who have started a company but perhaps aren't sure how far they can take it? Are there particular elements that are essential for the success of a small business, whether, as you said, it's manufacturing or another type of business? Yeah, certainly. I, I think, um, you know, in my experience in transitioning from uh, larger companies or, or in, in some cases even startups is that, um, you know, a, a small business uh, such as Boyd, we need to focus on a strategy. I think uh, many times what I've observed in small businesses, um, the founders or the owners of the companies are very opportunistic, and um, which is not a bad thing, uh, but in order for the company to grow and thrive, I think the company needs to be more strategic. And um, it's easier said than done. Um, I think the the owners uh, that are or um, the leaders of these uh, small businesses need to figure out you know what they're good at and they need to stick with it. There's many distractions in running a small business, um, everything from regulatory, finance, you know, growing customers, marketing, etc. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think it's necessary for a small business owner to uh, maintain a strategic focus. Um, and, and, and I use the expression, you know, figure out what you're good at. Sometimes that's not always obvious. Um, um, what I mean by that is, you know, in the case of Boyd, um, you know, we're really good at building dental office uh, uh, equipment, uh, chairs and delivery systems, um, cabinetry that goes into it. Um, and it, I think it was absolutely necessary when I came on board to say, let's stick with that. Let's not, you know, because we have processes in machining, for example, or cabinetry building or painting, et cetera, that start venturing off into other um, other avenues. Uh, I think when you do that, you are you you stress already uh, short resources that you have in the company. So by being more strategic and focusing on what you really want to be good at, um, you can then um, leverage those resources in the best way that you can uh, to grow your company. So start out by figuring out what your sweet spot is. What is it that you're good at that you can be competitive at as a small business? Is that right? That is correct. You know, uh, you know, start with that, and and then you need to organize around that too. Uh, oftentimes, you'll see companies that, um, although they may say that they are a uh, company that's an innovation company, but they don't have a lot of engineering or R and D resources. They've put more maybe on the sales side. Um, so um, when you do figure that out, you need to also make sure that you organize around that. Make sure that your your organizational design supports that. That, um, that, uh, that strategy uh, to um, you know promote what you what you uh, specifically are, are best at. What else do you need? What about staff? Well, that's always in limited supply, right? Uh, you know, bench strength is uh, is a, a challenge in small businesses. Um, you know, um, you know, um, I, I think uh, you know. Uh, we're in a tight labor market here in the United States right now. Um, um, trying to get the best possible staff is highly, highly competitive. Um, you know, especially as we see millennials uh, entering the workplace. Uh, you know, according to two research uh, uh, reports, uh, you know, millennials now outnumber the baby boomers uh, here in the United States. Um, when I look at my staff, uh, my staff is largely comprised of that um, that demographic. Um, and so, um, how do we how do we staff this? Is you know we need to look at ourselves as a company and say, are we the right workplace for that person to come so that we can recruit the best possible candidate uh, for our company? Um, you know, uh, you know, it's been largely written that uh, millennials, you know, they want to be part of a company. They don't want to just work at a company. They want to be part of it. They look at work-life balance. That um, you know, how how do we do as an employer? Do we provide that work-life balance? Are we a socially responsible company? Let, let's face it. Are we a good corporate citizen? Um, 
um, millennials and, and, and for that matter, uh, many others uh, will uh, want to work for companies that are, are doing good for uh, society. Company culture is important. Um, now, cultures are difficult to sometimes put your finger on. Uh, we know it when we were in it, but corporate culture is very important to attracting good um, and qualified members of your leadership. And uh, so you need to promote a very positive uh, culture within your company. Um, offer training and career development opportunities. You know, the millennials are, uh, I, I think, uh, according to the advisor of um, Council of Economic Advisors for, for uh, the U.S. government, um, they're one of the more educated segments of our, our uh, demographic and our population. So they're, you know, looking for training and career development opportunities because of the, uh, their educated background. And, you know, and, and maybe the last uh, that we need to look at is uh, having an avenue for them to exercise their creativity. You know, when I mentioned, you know, beginning being part of the company would allow them to um, use their creativity to come up with new ideas, new concepts um, that will help, um, you know, grow and evolve the company uh, as we go further into the 21st century. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that the market is very competitive in terms of personnel. How is that in terms of the number of unemployed and the number of jobs that have been lost overseas? Isn't there an inherent contradiction with so many jobs lost and so many people who are unemployed? Isn't there more of an abundance of potential employees? Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, you're, you're right, Elena. I think some of that is also regional. Uh, you know, here in Pinellas County, Florida, uh, you know, it's a very competitive uh, marketplace for uh, for talent, top talent. There's, you know, other parts of the country that are still uh, suffering the, uh, you know, the impact of the, the more recent recession that we've had in the, com- uh, in the country. Uh, also, as we look at uh, statistics um, relative to employment uh, uh, numbers, uh, we also know there's a large uh, percentage of either uh, underemployed individuals or those who have just left the workplace altogether. And I think that's where sometimes we get into conflict when we look at the employment statistics and say, geez, unemployment rates are uh, at these uh, very low n- numbers. And you know, some economists would you know, probably say that we're at full employment. Um, that's not necessarily true. You know, throughout the country, I think there are, you know, again, parts of the country that are still uh, suffering. Um, but, you know, irrespective of regional uh, differences in these uh, statistics, I mean, it's always been a comp, uh, you know competition for top talent. Uh, you know, companies that I've worked with and ran uh, in other parts of the country, um, we always competed. And I think you know it's it's a, a challenge, even at bigger companies. But you know, again, a bigger challenge in a small business because you have to. Um, Really, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say you have to convince the potential candidate of the future of the company, the viability of where they can be part of it. So you're right. If you look at the statistics at times, it seems like we're, we're in conflict. But the reality is, uh, at least in my particular case, we are uh, in a, a highly competitive uh, circumstance. And it must be difficult, perhaps, because... Would it be accurate to say that many new entries into the workforce are intrigued by the prospect of working for a large company more than they are for the prospect of working for a small company? Is that your experience? Absolutely, Elena. You know, it, let's let's face it. You know, there, uh, there was a time in my career I worked for Gulfstream Aerospace, large corporation, makes great products. Um, you know, great employer. Um, you know, uh, when I, I sat on a um, uh, the local chamber of commerce board, uh, you know, side by side with small business owners, and. You know, their their challenge was is competing against a company of of Gulfstream. There was so much more that uh, a company or a large company could offer, 
And uh, so, yes, I think as a small business owner, that's been one of the things that my eyes have been open to is that, uh, well, for, in order for us to try to compete with uh, large companies that have much more resources and, and perhaps even uh, more opportunity, is to be able to, uh, back to being a good corporate citizen, uh, offer good benefits, you know, offer training, training and development. But let me let me set that aside for a second. And I've interviewed a lot of candidates uh, that come into our company who want to work for a small company. They want to. They like to feel. And uh, you know, I use the analogy that you can put your fingerprints on a lot of different parts of this company. They can contribute very broadly. Um, so they're not just you know stuck in a specific job. And this is all they do for 40 hours a week. We allow them the opportunity to um, to uh, influence and and um, make change in uh, you know you know other parts of the company. Just because you work in engineering doesn't mean that you necessarily can't have an input, say, in the production area. And so I think that's the attraction of the small business over the large business. And, and yes, there are, you know, people that fit very well in a large company, and that's all they want to do. But I think for the right person, uh, a small business has a lot to offer to them uh, in terms of just their ability to um, make an, a positive impact on the future of the company. What about the so-called generational differences that can, according to some experts, have a significant impact in the way that new hires interact with existing hires, or more accurately, how the different generations interact in the work environment because they have different goals, different outlooks, different expectations, and very clearly different communication styles. How do you go about dealing with that in a way that's productive and conducive to an effective work environment? Yeah, great, great one, great question. Um, yeah, we, we uh, you know, Boyd Industries um, has been around for 60 years, um, and, and next year we'll be celebrating our 60th anniversary as a company. And so um, when I look at our, our workforce here, we have a lot of legacy employees that have been with the company uh, over 10, 20 years. Actually, when I acquired the company, we had an employee who had been with the company for 44 years. Um, um, it was, uh, we've, we've been fortunate to have, um, you know, employees that are that uh, dedicated and, and devoted to, you know, to this company. But you're right, as we bring in um, a, the, uh, the newer generation, uh, the millennials in this case, we have had to work pretty hard on creating this hybrid culture uh, between leveraging the knowledge and skill set and uh, experience of the legacy employees alongside by side with the, the millennials that are, are coming into the workplace. And it's not to say that there aren't times where it does create uh, some uh, some conflict, uh, but I think by and large, if you if you um, do it. Um, you know, cognizantly, knowing that um, you, you have you know, the right people to, if you will, mentor uh, these um, less experienced employees as they come into the organization, it, it cuts down on that uh, potential conflict. Um, you know, I'm happy to say again that uh, also my leadership team, I've created a leadership team that looks like uh, our workforce now. And when I say looks like that, we're a much more ethnically diverse uh, organization. Uh, the millennials are the most diverse uh, segment of, uh, you know, for a dem demographic segment that we have. And so uh, my leadership team needs to reflect that. Um, yeah, although, again, uh, we have a leadership team at uh, you know various levels of experience, so you know you, you know your question relative how do you, how do you deal with that? I think you just need to um, um, just be very well aware of uh, that that blend that that hybrid organizational structure and bringing in and building on the, the strength of the legacy employees and. Um, you know the energy and enthusiasm that the uh, the, the newer generation can bring into the uh, workplace. What are the biggest challenges that you've noticed in that regard? Um, well, you know, it, it touched upon you know uh, some of the you know work-life balance um, you know um, considerations. Uh, you know, we've you know we've looked at our our. Uh, 
time off policies, uh, you know, our, our holiday schedules, um, you know, culture uh, within the organization, um, and making, um, you know, transforming Boyd into a more forward-thinking company, forward-thinking in respect to the future. And certainly we're pr- proud of our heritage and, and legacy as a company, uh, the reputation that we've gained over the last several decades. But we also need to make sure that we're uh, focusing on the future. And, um, and that uh, helps out a lot in, in bringing together uh, the two generational um, uh, you know, groups that we have uh, within the business. What about the clients? What aspects are essential to the success of a small business in staying up to date with the changing environment? Because, of course, without clients, there is no business, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, customer comes first, right? Um, yeah, you know, it's, again, you know, just uh, like we're we're dealing within the workplace here, um, we see the same demographic shift within the uh, in the market. Uh, again, Boyd Industries, we we um, design and manufacture dental office equipment. Uh, what what does that mean? That means uh, the dental chairs, uh, the operatory, or the, excuse me, the um, delivery system that the, the dentists would use to um, perform their procedures on you, you know, we build stools, we build you know, cabinetry, uh, a lot of items for that, that dental office. And as I go to the trade shows now, we do, you know, you know numerous trade shows throughout the year, you know, I see this, you know, firsthand, this, this demographic shift. When, you know, when we look at the, um, you know, the, you know, the, um, period which uh, millennials are in, you know, I think they're now in their 30s as they're working and in, uh, coming into the, the workforce. Um, um, we, you know, uh, we're now selling and we need to market uh, to that segment. It's a growing segment uh, of, the, uh, of the dental population. Um, the other thing that we've seen also in the dental industry is a, a shift also with uh, more females uh, uh, in the dental uh, profession uh, than we've had over over many decades, and so that's a that's another shift that we are seeing. Um, because we're dealing with millennials in many cases now, uh, they're you know obviously they grew up with uh, um, personal computers. They're very digitally savvy. They're socially connected uh, via social media and other forms and, and ways. And so for Boyd to be congruent with with them and the way that they uh, like to um, be treated and, and how they like to go through the uh, purchasing process, we've had to mimic that in, in some ways. Um, you know, we've become much more socially, uh, or excuse me, more involved uh, via social media uh, to enhance our presence there. Um, we um, have um, tried to make it, uh, uh, well, I'll say humanizing the company. Uh, again, the generation likes to do business with, with companies that they like, and so by humanizing uh, Boyd, um, we've been able to um, you know, help build and enhance our brand um, as they're considering other, uh, you know, us against uh, some of our competition. Um, and you know, and I mentioned about being a good corporate citizen. We've tried to uh, play up that aspect. I think Boyd has always been a good corporate citizen. We just probably weren't as, you know, uh, good at uh, broadcasting that. And we've uh, we've. Um, done a better job, I think, now getting the word out about who we are uh, to um, attract uh, that customer base. Your segment of the market is not just dental, but within the dental market segment, it's even further specialized. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, as we look at, you know, latest uh, uh, statistics from the Kaiser Foundation, there's 196,000 dentists in the United States. We compete in the specialty dentist uh, category. So uh, our primary segments that we focus on are orthodontist, uh, oral surgeons, pediatric dentist, uh, you know, endodontist, periodontist, you know, prosthodontist. Those, those are the specialties, and they comprise, you know, a, a subset of the overall dental industry. You know, if uh, you, if you look at the numbers, it's approximately probably 20% of that overall dental um, uh, population here in the United States. Um, 
because of that, you know, in, in, in many cases, uh, the doctors that we serve, uh, not only do they go through their, their uh, bachelor's program, they go to dental school, and then they go to a subsequent two years into a residence program where they get a master's degree in their specialty. Um, so, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with a very um, intelligent, um, very um, knowledgeable group of uh, the dental uh, um, dental population as uh, the specialist um, it, you know it also you know from a competitive standpoint um, you know many of these segments are underserved by uh, the dental industry uh, or companies that um, you know are you know in our, our competitive case and so um, I think Boyd has done a, a good job in understanding who our uh, doctors are as specialists and trying to build products that um, are um, you know provide benefits to them either ergonomically or uh, uh, through you know efficiencies that they gain in the office so you know again we've we've really, uh, I think, uh, done a good job in, in understanding who our customer is within this uh, specialist group. Why is it, just I guess for those of us who are not familiar with the dental side of the business, if you will, as opposed to being the customers, uh, is there a particular need for specialized equipment? In other words, do the other 80% of the dental practitioners, are they able to purchase equipment that is kind of like off the rack that they can just buy at a box store and these 20% that you're targeting require heavily specialized equipment? Uh, can you help us understand why that is? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so let me let me give you a couple of comparisons. Uh, let's uh, compare a pediatric dentist uh, who will be working on children primarily, right? Um, versus an oral surgeon uh, who is performing, um, you know, uh, surgical procedures, oftentimes using IV sedation um, to either do extractions or or even reconstructions of um, of, um, of the mouth. You know, on the pediatric dentistry side, for example, you're dealing with children. You have a, a difference in terms of you know what the engineers would call a human factors. You know, you're dealing with a smaller patient, right? So you need to have equipment that fits that patient. Uh, at the same token, um, keeping in mind the ergonomic needs of the doctor that's treating those patients. So um, in that case. Uh, like the chair products we have, we'll start at a little lower uh, level so the child can uh, get into the chair easier. Um, uh, we have uh, also we make a pediatric bench that is really more whimsical in a way uh, for the child to not um, feel um, you know you know a lot of anxiety in going to see their their doctor. Uh, we can do those in you know I call them the skittle colors and make them very uh, vibrant and and fun. Uh, so those are kind of products that we would build. Uh, for the pediatric dentistry segment, you know, in in comparison, then on the oral surgery side, again, um, they're performing surgical procedures, oftentimes with sedated patients, and so the the, the products that we build there, the chairs and tables, are more of um, a product or um, along the lines of something that you would see in a, a surgery. Um, setting. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're dealing with uh, two different types of uh, uh, products. And then, you know, in between our largest segment that we support is orthodontics. And we, we uh, uh, you're dealing with, again, with uh, primarily adolescents and teenagers there. Um, they're very active practices. Uh, these doctors see, um, you know, literally um, dozens and dozens of patients a day. Um, so, um, you know, Concerns about fatigue between the doctors and the staff are important. Uh, so ergonomics come into play, um, you know, not only for the staff and doctor, but also for the patient. And so we build products that are, um, you know, keep that um, level of activity in mind. And then, you know, overall, we also build products that are very durable. Um, you know, as a manufacturing um, professional, if I have a piece of equipment go down in a factory, it's very disruptive, can be expensive, uh, it could meet, you know, I, I could uh, miss uh, deadlines. You know, similarly, in a dental office setting, 
if a piece of you know equipment a tier goes down or something, they have to go reschedule patients. It's disruptive. Uh, you know, there's there's issues there. So again, having products that are very durable for those um, those uh, um, you know, those uh, specialty dental offices uh, is very very important to them. So you know, I, I hope that kind of answers your question. But um, there are different. Um, you know different types of configurations that the equipment has to to be to meet the needs of those specialists. How does the outreach to your clients? You mentioned that they're the more specialized and highly educated within the overall dental market segment. How is that interaction, how do you manage that interaction optimally so that you're maximizing your resources but at the same time providing the kind of attention that such a specialized product requires? Right. As I mentioned earlier, um, you know, social media presence is um, very, very um, important. Uh, when I acquired Boyd, we, we had a rather small um, how would you say the level of activity on social media? Um, you know, it was an area that I felt was um, something that we needed to uh, definitely amplify in order to reach out to our customers. Um, as I mentioned, orthodontists, for example, they're dealing with adolescents and teenagers. They uh, are very active on Facebook or Twitter uh, in, in um, you know, reaching out to their patients, uh, for that matter. Um, you know, so we had to do uh, similarly, and so now uh, we have an active presence on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, LinkedIn, for example. My uh, head of sales is a very uh, active member on LinkedIn and reaching out and connecting with our customers that way as well. Uh, the other is, you know, because of the nature of our product, it doesn't lend itself, you know, so much to just a point-and-click transaction. Um, you know, I, I use an analogy oftentimes. It's like buying a car. You do want to touch it, feel it, see how it operates, see how it's going to fit you uh, before you make that purchase decision. You know, after all, what we build is uh, a capital investment. Uh, you know, it's not... Uh, you know, it's a significant investment on the, on the behalf of the doctor and setting up their offices. So we do, um, you know, quite a few trade shows a year. Uh, it's, you know, personally I enjoy it. It's a great way for me to get out and interact with our customer base, uh, get their ideas, you know, see how we're doing uh, in the marketplace, and then I can bring that information back and make adjustments on um, whether it's a design or just, you know, marketing, how we're, how we're connecting with our, our customer base. So, um, you know, I, I think um, it's a multi-pronged approach is probably what you're, you know, you're hearing here is, one, we have to reach out digitally um, to, you know, make sure that we promote the brand, uh, make them aware of, uh, you know, things that we're doing within the company. But also, at the same token, we still need to get out and um, and meet with them and, and listen to them and uh, obviously demonstrate our products so that they understand what they're purchasing. Are the doctors themselves attending these events and are they active on social media or is it someone in their staff? Well, it just shows the, um, the various associations for uh, the different dental segments. Um, these are also continuing education um, events. So the doctors do attend these shows um, uh, for continuing education credits uh, to uh, network with their peers, uh, learn new things in the uh, in their uh, specific uh, specialty. So yes, uh, we we interface directly with many many doctors. And at the end you know, at the end of the day, there's been some growth in the uh, area of uh, corporate dentistry. We see this on you know TV and other advertisement, but uh, there's still. Uh, a large segment of uh, dentists that are sole proprietors that own their own practices and you know at the end of the day they write their own checks uh, kind of like uh, I do around here so uh, yes they're very involved in the purchase decision um, uh, of, of the products that they're they're looking at uh, but you know in, and in some cases uh, they do rely on a, uh, an office manager or a clinical director or somebody else uh, to help uh, weigh in on that decision before they actually uh, make the purchase. What percentage of your marketing budget 
in, in terms of resources, time, and money, are you, would you say that you're dedicating to, for example, social media, and which channel is most effective, would you estimate? Sure. Uh, well, a large segment of our marketing dollars goes to the um, participation at these shows. Um, uh, as I mentioned, we, we um, I think last year we did 13 shows uh, throughout the country. Uh, because we have to take our equipment um, it's uh, you know it's fairly expensive for us to participate in, but it's it's money well spent in, in the company. So uh, if you look at the marketing dollar here at Boyd, a large portion of that is spent on uh, our physical presence at these uh, shows. Uh, we also advertise in print media, um, journals that uh, professional journals that uh, and other types of uh, trade publications that the doctors will uh, receive and uh, read. And then on the social media side, uh, we've devoted probably uh, about, um, I would estimate, uh, upwards to 20% of our uh, uh, spend uh, promoting that. I have um, some help with professional uh, social media support. I have a, a marketing coordinator that's uh, her responsibility as well that um, helps me to de uh, develop content. Uh, that we broadcast literally daily. Uh, as far as platforms are concerned, um, you know, I, I think our, our biggest presence right now is on Facebook. Um, uh, we have, um, I think at last count, we had over uh, or approaching a thousand followers there. Uh, we've also very active on Twitter. Uh, we have uh, 3,000 followers there. And for a small business, I mean, these don't. I mean, if you're, if you're in a large corporation, these don't sound like exciting numbers. But uh, for a small business, they they are certainly a, a lot more than what we uh, we started with. Um, and then we're becoming more and more uh, um, active on Instagram. But I would say probably the top three would be Facebook, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn. And when you say active, are you saying in terms of posting and interacting? Are you also placing ads on these social media channels? Um, yes. Um, so when I say active, we, we try to, you know, make sure we're posting daily. I mean, it, it's important for us to remain active. Uh, if you're not active, then people get, you know, I'll say get bored and, uh, you know, they won't uh, follow you as closely. Uh, we also need to be relevant. We try to post things that are fun, and but also things that might be uh, informative to uh, the doctors. Um, so, um, you know, that's that's you know the, what I mean when I say uh, active. Uh, there are times we do run um, some promotions uh, through there. Um, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, I would call it their advertising uh, arm of these uh, different platforms. Um, you know, certainly on LinkedIn and, and definitely on uh, Facebook, probably less on Twitter in terms of um, doing promotions on that. So, yes, we do um, spend some ad money in promoting certain posts um, uh, that we do um, from time to time. Do you have any insights that you care to share in terms of how effective they are as channels? There's a lot of controversy among marketers in relation to how effective social media channels are from an advertising perspective. Do you have any insights that you care to weigh in? Yeah, well, another one of those uh, debates. I, I, you know, I understand um, it's, a, it's one of those things that's very difficult to, uh, to measure, right? You know, advertising dollars are always one. It's hard to uh, do an empirical cal calculation saying, you know, for every dollar I spend, how much do I get in terms of uh, sales? Uh, what I will say is that, um, you know, I gauge it by just the um, amount of interaction that I get with our customers that, um, you know, again, when I'm out at the, uh, at the shows or my salespeople are out making calls uh, on their on their customers, uh, that they will note, hey, I saw something that you guys posted or, hey, I saw this. Um, to me, that says at least the message is getting through. Um, you know, I use it also really more for uh, promoting the brand. I think that's another 
uh, thing that you know small business needs to you know be cognizant of is that um, you know branding is very very important. Um, when I look for companies to acquire, that was something that I I was looking for, and I was very uh, pleased with the. Um, the brand recognition that Boyd had in the marketplace. And I think uh, we as small business leaders should um, make sure that we recognize that and continue to promote our brands. And I found that the social media piece is a good way to promote that brand, um, to also back to humanizing the company. Uh, you know, not everything we post is you know, some uh, clinical research uh, study, uh, but some times we're posting when we do good things in the community uh, or we have employees that have done uh, you know good things we like to do that and once again it puts a face on the company um, and um, you know helps and again I use the term humanize Boyd uh, in the marketplace so uh, you're right there there is a you know a lot of debate as to the effectiveness of social media um, you know and, and obviously I think different uh, social media channels it ebbs and flows you know which one's more popular, which one's not. You know, I've taken a more of a shotgun approach and try to, you know, um, be somewhat consistent across the multiple platforms. And but at the end of the day, you know, my main purpose in in that is you know to promote the brand and connect with uh, uh, with our customers that I know that are already uh, pretty active uh, on those different uh, those uh, social media platforms. Do you do any kind of tracking or measurement that you use to fine-tune your efforts? Yeah, we, we, you know, certain analytical tools. I mean, there's, you know, Google's famous for the Google Analytics. You can, you know, look at that. Um, uh, we look at uh, some of the data that we get back through uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and, yeah, you know, um, uh, we will... Um, uh, change our our tactic a little bit on uh, content development to make sure that we're engaging uh, with uh, with the, you know as, as many of our um, followers as possible. So yeah, we do look at that. Uh, we do, um, but it, it, it doesn't totally drive my decision making on, uh, on all that we do. But um, you know, I think each of those platforms has some embedded uh, analytic tools that uh, I do uh, uh, look at from uh, you know from time to time. As you look at your crystal ball and plan for the future, what do you see as the changes that are going to continue to affect the market? Because the markets have been changing and evolving very quickly, more quickly in the last decade perhaps than in the previous decades combined. What strategies would you say that as a small business help you prepare for the fast-moving marketplace? I can't speak for uh, you know all markets, um, but I'll speak you know to uh, dentistry, and you know maybe this would apply to other uh, you know sectors. But um, the the adoption of technology uh, within uh, the market, um, and, and what I mean by that specifically in the case of the dental industry is the amount of digital. Information. Uh, if you think about it, uh, you know, uh, you can go back a couple decades, and I, and I think many doctors still use them as, you know, uh, x-rays. It used to be you had to take an x-ray, uh, you had to go get the film developed, and then they'd come back and show you, uh, you know, what they're going to do. Uh, then there's digital x-ray. And now uh, if you look in the uh, technologies that are being used in many offices around the country, um, it's uh, 3D scanning uh, technology where they use a, a simple wand, if you will, uh, that they can um, scan uh, your entire mouth and create a 3D digital image of uh, of your mouth. As we you know fast forward, I think that sort of technology will be more broadly um, accepted and adopted in the uh, dental offices. And what it's doing is, um, um, you know, it's now. Uh, when you couple this with uh, 3D printing technology that's, uh, you know, uh, again, making its way into the marketplace, um, we are seeing it now where uh, you can go in um, and have, um, you know, an appliance made or, you know, a replacement tooth 
made literally in a day uh, by using the 3D imaging combined with either a mechanical, uh, like a milling device to create a, a crown or a replacement tooth, or in, you know, in some cases even a, a 3D printer to print uh, an appliance or others. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's, you know, the nature of where I'll at least say the dental industry is going, and we need to keep up with that. Boyd, we're, we're constantly monitoring uh, that, um, you know, segment of the technology and how do we adapt products to make it more um, useful in a more digital environment in a dental office. Um, you know, the other thing, um, you know, it's a, it's a movement within dentistry. Many of the dentists that um, we deal with are dealing with large amounts of student loan debt when they graduate from school. You know, as, a, you know, as I mentioned prior, um, they'll go and get their bachelor's degree, then they'll go to dental school, and in the case of our specialist, they'll go to two years of school. And, uh, you know, it's been, you know, publicized that, um, they, you know, in some cases, in many cases, are graduating with several hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. And so um, they're, you know, in order to pay that debt down and become more credit worthy uh, to be able to acquire their own practice and, you know, you know invest in their own uh, office, and, and they are now working in corporate dentistry. And so there's a growth in corporate dentistry. And so we need to uh, be aware of that. Um, we as a company need to um, evolve our sales force and be uh, able to meet the needs of a large or, uh, you know, larger um, corporate type practice uh, in order to uh, sell our products. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, I think still the, the dream that the doctors have, uh, you know, uh, and what I see is that they want to have their own practice ultimately. And um, in you know our cases with the orthodontist specifically, not only will they own one office, they will own multiple offices. And um, you know it, it's it's um, you know it's, I, I, I take a great deal of enjoyment and and, and pleasure in knowing that we are part of uh, some of these doctors as they um, have stepped out on their own and start growing their practices and have become you know quite successful in their own rights. You were talking about a greater number of diverse people in the work environment and among your customers. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, we, you know, it's the, as, as we look across the United States, um, we see that, you know, the um, level of diversity is going up within the con- country. And so, you know, as I look at my workforce, we have, you know, people of all sorts of ethnic backgrounds, which I think is a reflection of uh, the millennials. Um, again, when you look at, um, you know, the, the, you know, the one report that I refer to is this uh, report that was done for or uh, the Office of the President, this uh, Council of Economic Advisors report that came out in the end of 2014, and it spoke specifically of this uh, increased diversity uh, among the uh, millennials. Uh, you know, we just need to acknowledge that. It, it is what it is. And um, in my uh, experience, though, is that you need to have a leadership team that reflects that level of diversity. And I think having not only just the ethnic diversity uh, in your organization, but even diversity of thought, you know, we, we need that. You It leads to better outcomes. So, um, uh, you know, as I look at the uh, marketplace, I mean, our, our customer base, you know, reflects that as well. And uh, so, you know, not only within the workforce here within the company um, do we have that, but we also have that out in the marketplace. And, you know, so whether it's my leadership team internally or my sales team out in the field, we need to be able to reflect that and look like, um, you, know, the, you know, the future generation and the future of, uh, you know, of, of this economy. What other changes do you anticipate moving forward in terms of, for example, one of the thoughts that comes to mind is the availability, the easy availability of video. Do you see that making an entry or greater inroads into your area or small businesses in general, making them more competitive, for example? 
Yeah, that's an excellent observation. You're right. Um, as a matter of fact, we've you know uh, made some efforts uh, on our website to um, to improve uh, or the use of video. And as we go into the uh, coming year, we're budgeting to um, actually um, enhance that even further. Um, you're right. Uh, video has become um, the way that uh, we. Uh, you know things are are presented to us, and so yes, uh, um, you know I think about YouTube uh, and the amount of YouTube that's used. You know we have a YouTube channel where we have uh, certain um, uh, you know how to type videos on there for uh, for you know working with our products. Um, but you know I, I think yes, companies need to. Uh, invest and um, be very aware of the use of video as they, you know, either market their company or market to um, potential candidates coming into the company. Um, yeah, they need to spend some time and, and uh, be aware of that and do it professionally. By the way, you know, don't, don't you know? Sometimes I think in the right settings you could probably do something that looks pretty amateurish, and that's okay. Uh, but I think also to um, um, you know, um, it, you know, the better professional quality that you put into it, I think the, the better outcomes you will have, either uh, with your customers and/or um, you know potential candidates coming into the company. One of the issues that has come up in recent years has been the issue of cyber security. And, of course, I imagine this is much less of an issue for you because you're not dealing at a retail level but more of a business-to-business level. But for a small business entering or finding success in the market, maintaining information on clients, sometimes private information, sometimes sensitive information, in the case, for example, of some of your clients themselves, they might have medical records on file. Do you have any thoughts in terms of cybersecurity and the importance, the role that it plays in a small business environment? Because just having the ability to protect your website is becoming daunting. The hackers are so dedicated and so powerful in their tools and the determination that it could be the kind of thing that could bring down a small business. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I'll speak from firsthand experience here. Uh, one, we do spend quite a bit of um, uh, resources uh, maintaining uh, firewalls here. Sometimes we we fuss about it here in the company because we've got firewalls on top of firewalls. But I think you need to be vigilant and 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 be aware of the risk and threats that are out there. Uh, in our case, we don't keep any uh, you know HIPAA type information. You know, meaning medical records or anything that sensitive on our our um, you know data files. But you know, I have you know, for example, product designs. We use 3D CAD in, in designing our products. We have you know, finance records. We have information that's all stored digitally. And so, as a consequence, we we have um, you know made the effort to make sure that we have a very secure environment. Um, and, and back to my first-hand experience, um, not long after I uh, acquired Void, I think it was probably back in 2013 or so, uh, we got a virus in the company. And you're absolutely right. We were shut down for two days trying to, uh, you know, our IT people, that, you know, I have a contract IT company come in here and trying to scan and, and get the virus out of here. Now, fortunately, the virus was one of those more nuisance type of vi- uh, viruses, so we weren't um, you know, impacted you know too significantly, but just the fact that it, it shut us down for two days was was enough of a, a scare to me to make sure that we we invested the money uh, in you know servers, uh, you know, in networking equipment that's uh, highly or, you know as secure as I can get. And um, I'm not trying to be uh, overly um, uh, you know. Um, 
you know, uh, alarming about it, but I, I think uh, it is something that, yes, us as small business owners, we need to be very, very aware of uh, of those risks. They're constant. And you're right, whether it's uh, cloud-based systems that you may have or uh, your website, um, you know, your social media channels, uh, just need to be aware and cognizant of uh, the various risks that are out there that can uh, either hack or or um, you know take over uh, some of that. So um, yes, we we think about that here internal. Uh, I've thought about it. Um, you know, some of that was just good training from prior companies I've been involved with that took cybersecurity very, very seriously, and I take it very serious here. Um, in that case, I don't rely on in-house, uh, you know, uh, support. I've hired experts, uh, uh, you know, um, on a contract basis to make sure that my systems are are secure in the company. So um, it's a very good point. It's something that we need to be aware of, and um, again, uh, another area for us to. Uh, you know, put some focus and resources on. In parting, Adrian, what tips or suggestions would you share with our listeners, small businesses starting or already in place, or perhaps some who have found success and are looking to decide whether to grow larger or stay the course and just be able to manage their growth well? What tips or suggestions would you share with them? Yeah, you know, I, I've, it's, it's a good one. I, you know, I thought about this framework when I came on board here as to, you know, how do I transition Boyd from this company that was in the same family for 42 years, uh, been a successful company, but how do I transition this into a company that is positioned for growth and positioned for the future? And, um, uh, you know, and, and you need to develop that framework and understand, you know, what you want to do. Um, in my case, you know, I, I looked at a, a number of different things. Uh, I mentioned earlier about uh, being strategic. Um, again, Boyd had ventured in a number of different uh, types of products and other areas. And uh, when I came on board, just, you know, uh, make a declaration. We're a pure play dental products company. That's who we are. And, yes, we're a proud American manufacturer. Uh, yes, we have a number of different uh, manufacturing processes under under roof here. Um, but we, we need to be strategic and um, and, you know, hold a course on that. Um, you know, um, as a small business owner, we get, we get barraged with all sorts of outside influences. And I, I joke here internally uh, about the shiny object syndrome. You know, we, you know, something pops up and we go, oh, we've got to go look at it. We've got to go look at this. And, and so we're bombarded with distractions in a small business. And, uh, but as the owner leader of that company, you need to, you know, be that person to keep your eye on the ball. Keep focus on the on, on the uh, on you know your 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 vision your mission uh, and not get distracted with those, these other influences. Um, branding. Um, we need to not only be a good products company, but we also need a good be a good company at managing a brand. And again, not something that's typically uh, thought of a lot in a small business. You know, we get focused on products. We're proud of the products we develop. We're proud of what we do. But we also need to be equally and maybe more so proud of the brand that we've created and make sure that that brand is protected um, uh, for the future. Um, you know, ownership and partnership. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, uh, you know, the, the owner of Boyd Industries, but I, I think the team that works here is my partner's. Uh, you know, they come to work here. They make Boyd the success that we are. Um, I look at our suppliers. Our suppliers have a very important role in, um, you know, maintaining our success. So, you know, we need to think through that and partner with um, good companies, uh, you, know, uh, you know, best of breeding if, if we can. Um, you know, transitioning from sort of the tribal knowledge environment to process. Uh, we've recently gone through our ISO 1345 uh, registration audit. You know, that's the medical uh, device equivalent to the ISO 9001. And I did that not necessarily to broadcast that we have a you know world-class quality management system, but really more to um, make sure that 
you know, my my team here, uh, you know, is focused on process and procedure. No, we want to maintain our nimbleness as a small business. We want to think entrepreneurially, but it's very important for us to have standardization to be, uh, you know, an efficient company. And so, um, you know, less tribal knowledge, more process, more procedure. And it's not just in the manufacturing. Uh, in the manufacturing space, but this also applies whether it's in the accounting department or customer service or, or in the sales team. So we, we've, um, you know, made that transition, and I can't emphasize that enough to uh, small business owners. And, uh, you know, and I think that's generally the framework that, you know, I brought, you know, to, you know created my, you know, business plan around, um and you know, and I, and I think just you know, and then lastly, just you know, let's be cognizant of the demographic shifts in the marketplace that's occurring, you know, in front of us. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the millennials now outnumber the baby boomers in this country, and we just need to embrace that and understand it, um, and make sure that our businesses are positioned to uh, to um, you know grow with with them as they uh, uh, enter the workplace and, you know, become successful in their own rights. Thank you, Adrian, for joining us from Clearwater, Florida. Thank you, Elena. I enjoyed it. Thanks. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Adrian Latrace, who is CEO of Boyd Industries, who discussed transforming a small business to meet evolving market demands. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicMPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com. <laughs>